G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast, the round 10 preview edition on this uh, beautiful Thursday morning. As I say, a very good morning to my co-host Mark Fine. How are you, Finey? I am absolutely delighted with this weather. I mean... It's beautiful. Hey, hang on, just before I go any further, many happy returns for yesterday. Yeah, Studio 54, not good. But thank you anyhow. Well, you're younger than me. Well, I'm younger than some, but older than most. I think you'll find statistically that is correct. Did you get some good presents? No presents. Don't ask for presents? or No, I don't expect them and I don't get them. It gets increasingly harder to um, know what you want. as a Like every year someone says, what do you want for your birthday or Christmas? And I, I can never think of anything because like anything... I sort of really want, I go out and get, you know, I'm not going to wait sort of six months for a birthday. Spot on. You know, actually had a magnificent day because it, the way things fell, all four kids were available to go to lunch. There was some rostered day off at school and uh, the youngest got braces put on, oldest was working. We went to a restaurant near her and you know what? I don't know why, I don't know how. For the first time, the four kids were out and they weren't arguing. And you know why they didn't argue? Because they had a discussion topic that captured all of them and was hilarious. What was it? My two sons do not follow football. So my two daughters asked them to name three footballers. Lucas came up with Dustin Martin, then Mick Davison, (laughs) (laughs) and Johnny Brown. Oh, Johnny, Mick Davison? Well, he just, you know, he just created the name. Well, it sounds like a footballer. So we said, how did you know Mick Davidson? And we convinced him that somewhere in the back of his mind, he knew Mick Davidson, who was a star player currently for North Melbourne. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so we're all just in hysterics. I, I, when you said the perfect conversation topic, I thought you were going to say everyone debating the merits or otherwise of the final episode of Game of Thrones, because that's what everyone else has been talking about. Our house has not seen Throne One, not one minute of Game of Thrones. Oh, you should. It was an excellent series. I believe it was very good. But you can't watch everything. No, you can't. You can't. I'm, I'm just currently tossing up w- w- you know, what to make my next uh, magnum opus in terms of TV because I still haven't seen Breaking Bad. I still haven't seen The Sopranos. I still haven't seen The West Wing. However, I've just discovered that uh, the last final series of Veep has uh, been yeah. on, and yeah. uh, I, that I've is an excellent series. Never watched it, but I heard very good. Oh, no, no, it's very good. Julia Louis-Dreyfus? Correct. And uh, some of the foulest language you are ever likely to hear on television. There's some hidden gems on TV, as there is also in the world of podcasts. And we are brought to you, this little hidden gem, it's not hidden because you're listening to it, by Andrew's Hamburgers. And if you're listening in the AM, then today is our first Get together at Andrews. There's Rowan and myself. This is today being Thursday, the... Uh, here we go. Twenty third. Yep. Of 
May. <laughs> I was about to say February. Yeah, great. 23rd of May. Yeah. 1am. No, 1pm. Joking. So 1pm. Come and join us. There's free giveaways. First three people after 1pm to find us and say the word footyology. We'll win a free lunch and a free cap from Andrews. 144 Bridport Street in Albert Park. And they just happen to be... Uh, if every poll and every food, food foodie and every influencer is correct, the best burger in Australia. So not a bad prize. Mike Sheehan's coming. Yes, looking forward to that. And just let's make it very clear. If you get there early and march up to us at 12.35 and say footyology, it's not going to count. It has to be at 1 o'clock. And you'll be wearing the Nick Bartels and Hardwick Buildco top, as made famous by Scott Pendlebury, now to make, made more famous by you. Will you be wearing yours? I'll be wearing an Andrews. Okay. Yeah. All right. No, our sounds two, good. Our two sponsors. And I can tell you, I was, hmm, yes, I can tell you this. I was privy to a conversation between your captain and Nick this week. Yes. Because he's moved into the house. And what a beautiful place. I've seen. He's got I, a few, hasn't he, Dyson? I think he's. Well, the house that he, he and his lovely partner are living in. Mm. Well, it's, you know, they've got small frontages in Albert Park because they're the old you know, working man's cottage, I think. Yes. But behind the, you know, nice but modest facade is a fantastic house. Whoa. Well, behind this modest facade, Finey, is a fantastic podcast. We've got heaps to discuss and we're going to get into it right now. On Footyology Newsfeed. All right, plenty to discuss and uh, off the top, he said his eyes rolling back in his head. Again, Finey, the uh, mooted uh, proposal for a wildcard playoff for a final spot has reared its extremely ugly head, and I'm not happy about it. This is as unsuitable in Australia as is Independence Day celebrations on July the 4th or celebrating Thanksgiving. We have already accepted... Well, not quite, because it's a turkey. Well, that's right. There are similarities. We've uh, embraced Halloween. All right, that's for the kids. You know what? This is even more infantile. Well, let's run through the various reasons why. Okay. Here's the most obvious one of all. You've got an 18-team competition. Why do you deserve even the chance of getting a finals berth if over the course of 22 games you're not good enough to finish, even in the top half of the ladder? It is utterly ridiculous. The system that we have is based on a single ladder all 18 teams, yeah, that not everybody plays each other twice, so there's a few um, there's a few road bumps to a perfect scenario. But we know that the best teams are up the top of the ladder. And we also know that traditionally how hard it is for teams in the bottom half of the eight, even though we've had an exception recently, uh, to win the premiership. Teams outside the eight, they're not in the they're not in the running for a very good reason because they're not good enough. Well, the values the six months that have gone before. Now, the wild card, obviously, there's something there's there's something an allure from the American system where the wild card is used, but there's a reason why there's a wild card in the USA because all right, let me take baseball as as an example. Baseball is divided up into two leagues the American League and the National League, and each league has three conferences. So you get the top three teams, the teams that win each conference, there's four or five teams in, in each conference, in each, um, we'll say, area. Mm. So you've got a natural need 
for a good co- knockout competition, you've got three top teams. If you want to have a system whereby you basically have quarterfinals, semifinals, and a final, then you need eight teams. So you've got the three teams that finish first. And it is fair that of the teams that remain, the side with the best win-loss ratio gets through. Because in many cases, the wildcard team actually has had a better season than one or two of the teams that have qualified by finishing on top. In, so, a, in a different conference. Yeah, well, in their same conference. So you could finish yeah, in, in a different conference. That's right. So you might finish, the Yankees might finish second behind Boston in AL East, but their win-loss record may be better than the teams that mm. won the other conferences. Well, a, a, a comparison for us would have been the AFLW. You know, the fact That's right. That, so there's two conferences there. Yeah. So there you can start to talk about a wild card that rewards a team that hasn't made the finals by finishing first or second. Well, well, but if they, when there are more teams, because there's more teams in the AFLW this well, year. Well, two of the teams that missed out in the AFLW final, uh, preliminary finals had a better, were, record. a better record than Carlton, who Correct. got in. So, so there it's justifiable, because yeah. we're not putting a dud. But here you've got a single ladder. Yeah, It's linear. And in a linear situation, if you finish outside the eight, you're outside the eight. I'll tell you what I, what I hate most about this is, like, has everyone got the attention span of goldfish these days. I mean, it's it's a six-month season. There's 22 games. Yes, some of them aren't going to count. Not every game is going to impact on the top eight. That has always been the case. It's why you play a full season. I mean, the EPL has how many teams? They have 20 teams. They play 38 games. The majority of them know for quite some time they can't not only not win the league, but they can't qualify for Europe or whatever. Well, but, so but, what? But they've got relegation there. So Yeah, no, well, that's true. Okay. In fact, you know, that system with relegation has teams looking over their shoulder or, or ahead no, for no, most of the year. that's fair enough. But I'm, I'm just saying not every game, you can still have good games of football that aren't going to impact on the eight. Well, I agree with your goldfish reference because haven't we learnt, if we've learnt anything in the last... 20 years, it's that teams that finish well, that show, even without making the eight, uh, promise and win games to put them within striking distance and, and finish the year off well, are well placed for the next year. And teams that uh, go down to the bottom, we saw Melbourne do it now, we know, semi-intentionally, and it cost them years of development. So basically... The idea of playing for pride is still very real and very worthwhile in a team's development. It's, it's not lost on me that some of the um, keenest proponents of this idea are the same people who think we shouldn't have draws in football anymore. Yeah. No one's satisfied with a draw. You've got to have a winner or a loser. Well, you don't. You know, I mean, you do on grand final day, although we had a replay until, what, 2010, but... Um, over the course of a 22-game season, you're going to have wins, you're going to have losses, you might have a draw. It's all part of the qualification process of getting into the finals. When will somebody... And the problem is that, you know, it's like the worry that the world's fate rests in the hands of of a, a North Korean, you know, at times unpredictable firebrand and an American lunatic... Mm. Who knows when they could press the button and we'll all pay the price. Likewise, who knows when some idiot gets 
enough power at the AFL to turn around and say, behinds reward mediocrity. Let's remove behinds from football. Well, is the push coming from the AFL or is it coming from uh, certain media organisations and certain people within the you, media? You'd need to be moronic to push for this. It's a linear... Well, there are some high-profile people pushing for it. There's some high-profile morons. The fact is that this, the notion that it keeps the season alive... So what teams do you think currently might be in the running for, you know, could benefit from the wild card that are out of the eight at the moment that would... What supporters would really believe that it's a worthwhile pursuit? Oh, I do you reckon... think Essendon would be excited by it the way they're going? St Kilda? Footscray? Well, Western Bulldogs? Well, hang on. Here's this point as well. Given that we have a final eight... It's it's pretty rare that going into the final round there aren't at least ten or eleven teams who still have some finals chance, correct? Correct. So how many games are there actually of the how many do we play in a season? One hundred and ninety eight, right? How many of those one hundred and ninety eight games have absolutely no relevance to the final eight? Because there's always going to be you know more often than not there is going to be a side that still has some finals prospects. Involved at least one side, and as you recall, I mean, there's plenty of games where you go into the final round, and there'll be a side that has a finals chance playing a side that doesn't, and they get knocked off by the side that doesn't. And I am wrapped to be a supporter of a team that can't make the eight, that is playing in a very meaningful game for a side that needs to win to either make the eight or get the double chance or get the home final, and then your team is involved in a meaningful game. Often at that stage of the year, younger players are being tried. Nothing wrong with that. Mm. It exposes them to a serious game of football under pressure. And as long as they're well coached and the club has the right attitude, they'll be told, well, you're heading out maybe on the MCG on Friday, on, on Saturday afternoon or Saturday night or Friday night to play against Hawthorne, to play against Geelong so it's a bit- in a game that means so much for them, so it means something for us. Let us be the fly in the ointment. And let this be a great way to head into the break and launch for next season. And again, of 176 games, how many will be played in a season that you can say definitively have no bearing on the top eight? It's a it's a handful. It would be seven, eight, nine yeah. out of 176 uh, out of 198. And again, it's a game of AFL football. There shouldn't be a player out there. This is football at the highest level. This is football recorded. Forever, these are these are records to be to be poured over. And the fact is, like you know, there's no such thing. Can you imagine in baseball with their 160 odd game season how many meaningless games mm. there are? But there's no meaningless game in baseball because the sport is statistical, and every player that goes out there and pitches, swings a bat, or fields has the personal pride to know that whatever they do. Whether or not it impacts on postseason, impacts on their career. I'm just, I'm just sick of these continual brain farts from people either in the media or with a big profile, or people in the media with a big profile who don't actually love the game that much. And you can tell they don't love the game that much because they're constantly trying to piss fart around with it. And I'm really getting tired of it. Yeah, finding, it, yeah, because again, you know what? If you don't know. If you're in the media and you don't know football, you're not it's not in your bones, it's not in your it's not coursing through your vein. If you don't 
feel the game, if you don't love the history of the game, if you don't know the history of the game, you know what? <clears throat> when they put the microphone in front of you, you're going to talk shit. And this is shit. Yep. No, I'm with you 100%. All right. Let's, uh, we've got a few other things to cover off. Uh, some important injury news. Essendon, just things going bad to worse there. Devin Smith now ruled out for the rest of the season with that knee injury. And uh, last night, some news about Joe Danaher won't play in the Dreamtime game because of an aggravation to a groin injury. And some speculation that, in fact, he may not be coming back. So it could be a repeat of last year. Um, that would be, <laughs> given the fact that right at the moment there's no Mitch Brown, no Sean McKernan, no James Stewart, that would be a disaster. The, across the um, Nullarbor, Matt Taverner, who just can't get a... He's out for eight. He's, he's out pretty much for the season, they reckon. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought it was about eight. Well, you know, they're, they're saying it's <clears throat> probably going to be a season-ending foot injury. Mm. But back in the waffle this week, and apparently looking a million dollars, Harley Bennell. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, what? What? How cr- critical do you think loss of Danner is to the Dons? Is that in their finals hopes? Oh, I didn't lie. I think Devin Smith was pretty important. I'd... You know what? It doesn't alter my opinion on your chances of making the final. Mm. Do you know what that means? Uh, means then you don't think they're going to make it. I didn't think you, you were going to make it before Dan who got injured. Yeah. But I don't think you're going to make it now. Not you. I'm not at the Essendon Football Club. No, uh, they. Sorry, <laughs> they. No, you're quite right. Quite right. But you, uh, all right. As a football journalist, mm. uh, you can't make a case for Essendon now without without any. F- any forward height. I mean, they could no. move hooker there, but then they'll just get caught out down back. They're, they're basically... And remember that your backup Ruckman is out for the year. Mm. No, I, I think the loss of Smith is as significant, and I think together um, that probably just about sinks their prospects. I'm interested to see if Laverde plays. Uh, well, he's injured at the moment as well. He got injured again. He's permanently injured, Jaden Laverde. Yeah, I, think, I think he might be close to a recall. No, uh, he's missed a couple. Yeah, I know. Um, another uh, big story uh, which emerged yesterday, the retirement of Heath Grundy. Um, sad way to bow out. He's had a back injury, picked it up in an intra-club in February. Played, uh, I think, the second JLT game, but um, the back was no good and hasn't played at all this season. 256 games he bows out on, which makes him the seventh highest um, game player for the Swans. Uh, initially rookied in 2004, until last couple of years, had been incredibly durable. He'd played 20-plus games every year between 2009 and 2017, and an integral part, of course, of that famous 2012 Premiership side. I remember when he started finally. In fact, I'm pretty sure I saw his first game and he, he was playing as a forward early on and then didn't quite work out and uh, moved down to defence and it proved to be an inspired shift. Yeah, he was sort of at his best. Their, what was their best tall combination down back? Down back? Yeah. Um, because because he was there with Ted Richards. Grundy, Grundy and Richards. Yeah, and Bolton. The underrated... Craig Bolton. Craig Bolton. Mm. I think that's when... Well, obviously they won premiership. But, you know, he was a... An ap, at, at his best, he was a, a sturdy defender. He, he was. He was I'm, I'm just laughing because I remember hearing a story about what, uh, what their coach's nickname was 
for them. You know, like coaches love players, but they're sort of a, a very aware of their foibles. And yeah. I know, uh, I hope uh, I hope I'm not going to get canned for this, but I know Horse sort of uh, felt that they both, uh, both Grundy and Richards, had a propensity for the odd clanger, and yeah. he used to call them the something up brothers oh yeah yeah that's great <laughs> but uh they were both very good in those roles so well done heath grundy yeah it's been a backman don't often get a lot of um uh attention but uh it's it's been a fantastic journey for him and he's been a, a huge part of the swan success for a long long time so well played and of course we live in times where a headline online is does not need to be justified as long as people click on it. So click, <laughs> clickbait headlines are all the go. It's it's basically how to trap people in to the sort of people that would go for a wildcard finals or uh, no draws. Yeah. Yeah. So what did the headline read yesterday on one sports feed? What was it? Retirement shock. Grundy calls it quits. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Collingwood supporters are like, what? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Why? When? What happened? Well, that's, that's not as uh, the the best one ever was uh, uh, when Ron Barassi wrote the column for the Truth. Barassi on drugs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. <laughs> Ron Barassi, don't take drugs. <laughs> uh, all right. So there's our news segment, and just to finish off again, wild card, no good. Don't do it, AFL, and uh, you various uh, stupid idea pushes in the media. Just pull your heads in for five seconds, will you? On Footyology Media Watch. All right, uh, something a bit different this week because um, we're going to do Media Watch about our own stuff. Because, um, well, something you wrote the other day, Finey, for footyology.com.au, and something I've written uh, in the last 12 hours or so, um, which is running today on Inkle. Um, which is a news aggregation site. Uh, it's free to read on Inkle, so you'll find it there. I've, I've uh, tweeted, or I will be tweeting it out, so you can find it on my Twitter feed or Facebook or Inkle if you do a search it, on that. Is an Inkle tweet called a twinkle? That's very good. Um, I should, I'll, I'll let them know about that. Uh, it will also be appearing on Footyology from Friday morning if, if you miss it there. So... You're, there's this ongoing debate about the state of the game and people worried about various things to do with the game. Now, you wrote your final siren, which you wrote uh, on Monday, was basically saying um, that you're a bit over people complaining about the state of the game and pining for yesteryear and let's enjoy the game the way it is. So Because today will be yesteryear one day. Well, give us a, a potted version of your argument. All right, so the... the, the fact is that we are really over over handling the game with rule changes, nine rule changes at the mm. start of this season. You know, the soccer has had, I didn't put this stat in, but soccer has had something like major rule changes, 14 since the war. Mm. And that's the Second World War, not the war on drugs in Richmond, which started last week. You know how many we've had? We had a, I wrote this. There was 170 to 2014. Yeah, we we had, um, I think there was 50-odd in about a 20-year period. Yeah. And some of them were really minor, incidentally, okay. but anyway, go on. So the reason why we can do this is because being the only country really that plays it, the AFL does not have to be get ratification from other nations. It's very hard to get a rule change in a sport that's played globally, but when you're the only game in town, you can just do whatever you want. So this 
search for the perfect aesthetic has become manic, I believe, and it's driven a lot by trying to recapture what people remember as great football of days gone by. So they cite the game between Essendon and Geelong, 1993, Salmon and Gary Ablett. But I can guarantee you as a St Kilda supporter, in that very same period, the 80s and 90s or 70s and 80s for high-marking 100 goal kickers, I watched some of the most appalling football you have ever seen. And um, appalling because, what, one-sided or lack of skills? Lack of skills. Lack of, you know, the, the, just an inability by lower teams mm. to place the f- sort of football that people remember so fondly by the top teams. There was a gulf. Because there was no draft, because there was no salary cap, they were wallowing. St Kilda was a suburban football team playing terribly, and there was fits. They were terrible games. There's no doubt the competition is more even now, but is that a fair um, sort of comparison? Because that's about the structure of the competition, not how the actual no, game I'm is I'm saying, played. but the actual game, I'm saying that people, it's our natural tendency, and I wrote this in the article, uh, to, our memories are po- generally positive. Mm. And I gave the example of an overseas trip. Don't worry, you were overseas trip, if you break it down, had plenty of moments when you thought, what the, what the hell am I doing here, waiting with your baggage, incorrect, you know, snafus and, and being, t- but your memory will be fondly of those marvellous picture postcard moments, and that's why people get pined to go overseas again. Depends who you are, I mean, I, I had a great time in Europe in 2015, but I still remember having to hang around Madrid Airport for 10 hours. Yeah, but... <laughs> It's a, it's a, it's actually a natural mechanism of the brain to suppress um, memories that we don't want that that upset us, and you know in a healthy brain, a healthy mind, um, put at the forefront nicer memories, and that's how we look back at football. Now the fact is, in search of this aesthetic, and by the way, have we really established when the perfect football was played? Anyhow, oh, well, I've got a I've got a date. I think was the peak of footy. Okay, so. There was a whole podcast on it last year. Understand this. Your peak of football was when? What year? Oh, 1993, 94. Okay. How many teams were there in the comp? 14? In 93. Um, for, uh, 14 or so. There was uneven there for a couple of years. Yeah, there are less teams than there were now. So you have to take that into an account. The more teams has been thinning the spread of talent. Yeah. The fact is, though, at what cost are we trying to turn back the hands of time. And the big, the big losers are, I feel, and this is a huge problem now, umpiring has become, I think, a problem in the game, and I don't blame umpires, because they're not given the same set of rules to umpire with each season. How can umpires possibly hope to improve when told at the beginning of every year we're interpreting this differently and these are new rules? So... Constantly changing the game is ruining how the game is being officiated. Mm. I'm sure of that. Incidentally, there's 15 teams between okay. 91 and 94 yeah. until Frio came in. Now, I'm not being rude, but the team you supported was brilliant in that period, in 93, weren't mm. they? Yeah. So you were watching great football every week. I don't, I, know, I don't know if Brisbane Bears fans thought it was the height of... No, but, that, but, but, but then again, the people that did that 93, the greatest season that was yep. podcast, not one of them was an Essendon supporter. Okay, but I'm just saying that it, that's... Okay, so at what price are we pining for the past? This is what the price is. 
It's impossible to umpire the game if we keep changing the rules, searching for this holy grail. We're not, we're not going to recapture it. So stop trying to every year. That's one problem. Another problem is that we are, you know, don't wish your life away. We are not celebrating what's great about the game enough now. I'm telling you that Jeremy Howe and Liam Ryan mm. are magnificently playing right now. I think they're the best aerialists consistently I've ever seen. Let's celebrate that. Let's mm. let's celebrate some of the most powerful and impressive midfielders of all time. Can I just chip in there, though? There are various reasons we don't celebrate the game enough. And what you're saying may well be one of them, but another one of them is the the... Again, it comes back to media. This is the right segment. The constant obsession about the news cycle. So, and and I wrote a column about this back in uh, two days after the or three days or no, actually it was a week after the 2012 grand final and got um, ostracised by my age sport several age sport colleagues because I dared say that all the obsession with the trade period and whatever at the expense of one of the greatest grand finals ever was a bad thing. And um, I, I remember it vividly because it was the first year of free agency yeah. and you had Hawthorne playing Sydney in what I think is the best grand final I've ever seen. And literally on the Monday morning, the back page headline was about Brendan Goddard going to Bessner. There you go. So here's what the, what the could, to encapsulate the article, here's what I feel. And that is we are spending a fortune, really, in money and time to try and make the game something it's not, mm. recreate a past. In doing so, it's becoming impossible to officiate. We're underappreciating the modern game. Mm. We are, and I didn't put this in the article, creating a uncrossable gulf, a, a huge gulf between AFL football and football played at suburban grounds elsewhere. Because you can't, you know, 666... It's very hard to administer that when you're one umpire doing a junior game. Yeah, yeah. It reserves football. There's no there's no goal review system. We're turning AFL into a separatist elite competition that with rules that are impossible to recreate. Gee, that's a bit like um, US professional sport, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. Some people would love that. Exactly. And we go into all of this heartache. And the other thing is, we because we change the game so much, it's very hard to watch. Football fans shouldn't have to learn the uh, get a dossier on the new rules and interpretations each year, and you can see they're getting frustrated in the crowd, mm. not knowing quite what the interpretation for in the back, intentional behind, intentional out of bounds, six 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 warnings, no warnings. It's becoming increasingly difficult to follow the game, even for year in year out supporters. And you know what? Rather than go to all of this trouble, expense, heartache. You know how you fix it? Just by changing the way you think. A paradigm shift. All you need to do is say, you know what? The modern game isn't the same as the old game, but it's still bloody good. Yep. Um, it, no, it was a really good column, and if you haven't read it, I uh, urge you to jump on footyology, au and read Finey's final sign from this week. However, it got me thinking, Finey, and I think uh, I, I agree with you to an extent. However, I just, I cannot, <laughs> um, I wouldn't necessarily go as far as the current administrators are to try to get back to some lost ideal that we're not going to recapture. 
but I would maintain, honestly, from you know, from you know, speaking in a heartfelt fashion, if you gave me a really good game from 1993 or 94 and a really good game from now, I suspect I would enjoy watching the one from 25 years ago more. I've written a column too, which, like I said, it's on Inkle um, t- today and it'll be on Footyology tomorrow morning. Basically, I started from the premise that, you know, we're always discussing the look of the game now. I think that's quite a healthy thing um, because, if nothing else, the game has changed more in appearance over the last 25 years than it did for 100 years previously, I think. If you looked at the difference between footy of, say, the 1940s, 50s, and footy up to the start of the 70s, the changes weren't huge. You know, there, obviously there were some changes, but not nearly as much of a difference as looking at a game between, uh, say, from the 1980s and a game today. Two things jumped out. Uh, I, I disagree a bit with that. <clears throat> okay. Well, you know, why? I, I, because I saw those games. I've seen, I love watching old football. Mm-hmm. See, there's a lot of, in the olden game, there's a, quite a bit of walking around, but there's also a lot of just accepted slaughtering of the ball with drop kicks. It, it was yeah. like every third kick worked. It was, it, these are finals. Not in uh, the 1980s. No, no, I'm saying in 1948, that there was a grand final that they've got the, quite a bit of, Carlton Essendon, 47. 47. 47. Yeah. Some of the kicking's okay. Yeah. Some of the. I oh, see. So you're saying there is a big. A There's big, a big. Yeah. There was a big difference. Okay. They, the uh, drop punt, I think, made a huge <clears throat> difference to the game. Yep. Yep. No. No. Good point. Um, a couple of things flashed into my mind though. Someone on, in fact, I think it was Phil Porsonides, former Carlton player, who posted on Twitter. Oh, that's good. He was a, he was a goal kicker extraordinary in the uh, VFL. Oh yeah, no, very good player. Stuff, yeah. Very good player. Um, and and Phil's quite uh, active on Twitter. So good day, Phil, if you're listening to this. But Phil posted a shot of two scoreboards. One was from the famous game at Princes Park between Hawthorne and Geelong in 1989 when Hawthorne came back from 53 points down to win. Final score, Hawthorne 26-15, 171, defeated Geelong 25-13, 163. Epic, epic game of football if you haven't seen it. It's on YouTube, jump on and have a look. The second scoreboard he posted was from round seven this season, Adelaide versus Fremantle. Adelaide 7-9-51, defeated Fremantle 5-4-34. Now, I was thinking about that because I know you... you said you thought that was a terrific game. I've yep. actually mentioned that in this piece, so just uh, be forewarned. Yep. And I, I'm not even disagreeing with you, but that, that sort of demonstrates how dramatic in very bald scoreboard terms the difference has become, and there's a 30-year gap between those two games. However, the more I think about it, the more I think it's not just about the scoring, or in some cases it's not necessarily about the scoring. For me, and I think for a lot of people... It's about the movement of the ball, and that has changed. I can't overstate how much that has changed, and I've got some numbers here which I think demonstrate that. Now, the game I consider the greatest game ever played was the 94 preliminary final between Geelong and North Melbourne. Ablett marks one-handed, kicks the winning goal off the siren. Famous, famous game. But that entire game is just epic. It's not, for its time, an inordinately high-scoring game. The final score was 16-13-109 to 14-19-103. In fact, in the last quarter, which is 30 minutes of the best, most breathtaking, edgy-your-seat footy you will ever watch, there is only four goals kicked in the entire quarter, 
and the side that won only kicked one goal in the final quarter, and that was after the final siren. But that quarter remains absolutely gripping. So it's not about the scoring. What it is about is the way the ball transitions from end to end. It is just one side attacks, the attack is repelled or they score. If it's repelled, the other side then attacks. Quick ball movement, end to end, a lot of play around the wings, you know, the likes of Peter Riccardi and, you know, North, uh, you know, the runners North had playing for him in in, in that period. Um, And it's just edgier seat stuff. That is what we see increasingly less of. Now, some of the rule changes, there's a lot of, the, the rule change everyone's talked about is 666. <clears throat> Steve Hawking actually came out uh, yesterday and gave a press conference about how it's all going. He thinks that aesthetically the game is looking better. I agree with him around the centre bounces. It had to because there's fewer people there. Unfortunately, and I did say this when they introduced it, you're talking about a time frame of about five seconds of course. And if you have, uh, what's the average goals per game? 25 goals per game. There's 125 seconds or two minutes out of a 120-minute game, which are more open because of that rule change. What I think is more concerning is the lack of impact, or if you listen to this argument I'm about to present, the actual adverse impact of the new rule surrounding the kick-in from the behind. So if you're not familiar with that, and I think most people listening to this would be, the uh, kicker in has an extra five metres to work with. So there's a 10 metre gap between the kicker in and the bloke on the mark. All the um, other people defending the kick in have to be in that 10 metre protected area. There is more room. Because the kicker, as a result, can play on more easily and and launch his re-entry into play from further up the ground, that has pushed all the people defending the kick out another 10 metres back outside the 50 metre arc. Now, two things here. The kick-ins um, aren't being coached more adventurously. I know this. I've spoken to coaches about it. They're, they're not wasting their time coming up with smart tactics from the kick-ins, as was predicted. This is why. Because at the end of last year, here's how scoring was broken down. 60.5% of scores come from turnovers. 35.5% were coming from clearances. Just 4% come from kick-ins. Coaches look at that and they go, why am I going to waste hours and hours drilling players on being clever with a kick-in to try to go coast-to-coast when it happens that little amount of game time? Now, here's the interesting thing. Those numbers for kick-in, scores from kick-ins, have come down again this season. They are currently at 3.7%. They are not the only thing that's come down. Scores from turnovers have also reduced. Why has that happened? A lot of people in clubs are saying that that has happened because not only are there not no extra scores from the kick-ins, but there are fewer turnover scores from kick-ins because the side defending the kick-in is another 10 metres further up the ground and it makes it harder for them to intercept the kick-in and score from it. Stay with me, this is complex stuff. It's not just about scoring from the kick-ins. Even retaining possession of the ball from the defensive 50 to the forward 50 has almost halved. Here's some numbers on that. In 2007, 30% of uh, chains of play uninterrupted, so the one team retaining possession, 37% of chains that started in the defensive 50 would end up in a side's forward 50. 17% of them would score. 
In 2019, that figure is 20%. So just 20% of times a side gets the ball in the defensive 50, they retain it all the way into their 40, uh, forward 50, and just 8.5% of times do they score. So that is half in, in 12 years, the rate of scoring from defensive 50 to inside 50 has halved, and the rate of even retaining possession has gone from 37% to 20%. So it's almost halved. So we are seeing less and less and less of coast-to-coast football, and that is happening for a very obvious reason, because of the amount of forward pressure being applied by virtually every side now. And if you have a look at all the dominant teams of the last 10 years, you had Hawthorne with their precise kicking, yes, but Hawthorne all, all also a team very reliant on forward pressure. You had St Kilda and their forward press. They mastered it. Collingwood, when they won in 2010, took it even a step further than that. You've had uh, the Western Bulldogs handball club and forward pressure. You've had Richmond's forward swarm, banging the ball forward, and then the three small forwards trying to pick up the crumbs. It's all based on forward pressure. That is so far and away the number one focus of all the clubs now. So they are not going to put the time in in trying to create scores from the back half, and particularly not from kick-ins. So we are getting a game in which, I reckon if, I think I've written, if you, if you spelt out how the game is played in Morse code, this is how it would look. Scramble, 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 break. When a side breaks out of that defensive 50, goes to the other end, scramble, 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 break, or score. It's becoming a bit like rugby league. You get all the players clustered up one end. There's a quick break. It goes to the other end. Rinse and repeat. And I think the game really has lost something from that. And if you look at that 94 preliminary final, and yes, it was a particularly good game, but I'd put that up against a particularly good game from now, and I I reckon 99 people out of 100 would say that the 94 version was better to watch. Okay. I don't disagree. Does that all make sense? Absolutely. And I don't disagree with that. It all makes sense because if you have a look at what a team does when they have the ball, say, 60 metres out, if a player has the ball 60 metres out, you know what his instructions are? Look for a leading player in the forward 50. If no player... So if you can pass to somebody who can mark inside 50, go for it. Often that's not available. What is he then told to do? For the first time, I think, in football, this has been... The instruction, kick it to the boundary. So, you know, if there's reset. a contest, it's a throw-in. <clears throat> we can reset and keep the ball forward. Yeah. Until two years ago, for the history of football, it was kick it to the hot spot, 10, 20, no, 20 metres out from goal. You know, we'll go for the mark. If not, our Rovers can go for it. Mm. But conservative, negative-type coaching says, well, hang on. That's where we could turn it over and the opposition can break. No, our option has to be either hit, hit up a, a lead or we'll reset with a throw-in. And I, I think it's going to get worse because there's fewer and fewer sides now who are prepared to launch scoring drives from defence. Essendon do it to an extent, but Essendon is being found out. Um, if you clog up the corridor you can stop Essendon, and that's what sides have done effectively this year. GWS do it, I think, a fair bit too, and they're a a more skilled side, so they're more adept at doing it. But I reckon when push comes to shove in the finals, perhaps they might get fined out by the really best teams 
in the competition. And the star players are the midfielders <clears throat> who can break the lines. Mm. Dustin Martin, you know, when Richmond are up and running, he's he and Cochin can, in these slow build-ups and, and stoppages, break free, get free, and create options up forward. Collingwood have Trelaw. Mm-mm. We know Adams, Pendlebury. Well, it's become... Geelong, a, that's why Kelly is so important. It's become a burst game. It, Correct. It, it's like a, a cluster of players and yep. then someone bursts free. Yep. Whereas what I'm talking about in 94, it was a constant yeah, speed thing. All right, so... What do we do about it? Well, clearly, the rule changes aren't doing enough. And and Hocking conceded this today. This and Brad Brad Scott conceded it as well. It is a coaching issue. It is a coaching issue. So I don't know how how, they, how, how do we defeat it. Well, how are they able to do it? How are they able to? How are they able to tell their players to <clears throat> defend? You know, when we don't have the ball, to get back and defend, basically eighteen men just rushing back to defend. How can you do it? What do you mean, how can you do it? They just tell them to do it. I don't, I don't. You, could, you couldn't do it at Waverley. Not in a million years. Oh, so you think we need bigger grounds. You couldn't do it during winter, mm. week in, week out, yeah, I slugging, through, yeah, yeah. slugging through inch, you know, ankle-high soft grounds. You can do it at Eddie Head yeah. or Marvel. You can do it forever. Yeah. And they do. Yeah, well, you reckon bigger grounds, I reckon... Wet and weather and bigger grounds. I reckon fewer players. And this and that's is why... It. Well, that's, if not a bigger ground, yeah. you know, more ground to well, cover. this is why I've come around on and, the and idea why, of going to 16 aside. And that's why no interchange also does that same thing. Run back and forwards without having a break. But I'm absolutely convinced now it's going to come to that. 666, it's been a very cosmetic and temporary effect. Yeah. The kick-in rule clearly isn't working. In fact, it's having an adverse effect. Um, if we keep tinkering like this, none of it is going to make a sufficient enough difference. I was and actually going to say in my article, if you want to make a change, make it impossible to apply the defensive tactics that come from the coach's box. And you do that with a bigger ground or less players. And I was going to quote you. But then I thought we're getting off the point here. I just mm. said, you know, not to pine for the past. In reality... That's exactly what you need to do. And Kevin Bartlett, a strong advocate of no interchange, that's another way of doing it. it it's, you cannot <clears throat> achieve what coaches are trying to achieve if the, players, if the players aren't given the opportunity to break, recuperate, reset. No player can run back and forwards like that all day. Mm-hmm. No, no, it's a really good point. All right, look, there you have it. There's uh, Finey's argument, my argument, and there's, there's, uh, it's not one v the other. I think there's a fair bit of common ground in what we're saying. And um, we're media, so we're, we're, we're looking at our own stuff. But I think there's fewer and fewer forums in the football media now where there's actually room to discuss these things at length. So I'm glad uh, Footyology gives us the opportunity to write stuff like that and to talk about it in this forum as well without just getting a former player to say something outrageous and then seeing the headlines slapped on a paper. It certainly makes more sense than spending your entire football season advocating a wild card or a twilight grand final. Couldn't agree more. All right, let's preview some footy. On Footyology, previews with Punch. Rightio, some particularly big games coming up in round 10, almost at the halfway point of the season. Jeez, it's gone quickly. Friday night kicks off at the SCG. We uh, should mention Indigenous round because it oh, is... Oh, yes. I've got to say, it is certainly, from the way I live my life, one of the 
one of the few, and certainly um, we are very thin in number of celebrations of Indigenous Australia. We are, and uh, I think one of the great sources of pride, rightly, for football and the AFL is the fact that um, in a playing pool of 800-odd, um, the Indigenous representation is over 10%. Yeah, um, it was flagging there for a little while, but it is picked up again. Yeah, I think it's around the 80, 80 mark. And, um, so, uh, And I, uh, can I just say, if you haven't already done it, go to afl.com.au. There's a, a butte article that shows all of the Indigenous round Guernseys. Oh, yeah. Who designed them. In many cases, there are former players, current play- there are current players, former players, spouses, siblings, mm. parents of players, relatives of players. You'll get a real buzz out of who from your club was involved. A good friend of mine, Shelley Ware, designed the Carlton Jumper. Superb. I know it's in Kilda. It's Ben Long's, I'm going to say sister, might be auntie. Um, there's Quentin Narkle did the Geelong Jumper. Daniel Rioli and his family, the Richmond Jumper. They, they're just ones I remember... And you get to vote on the best jumpers. There are some. There are some that I really like. You know what I love? Now, what's become sort of a regular feature is the black swan mm. on the swans jumper. Yeah, and it's a really nice interpretation of it this year. All right. So kicks off Friday night at the SCG Sydney v Collingwood. On the face of it, doesn't look like much. Fourteenth against second. However, the Swans are uh, well. If they're not back in town, they're. Uh, Somewhere on track towards the outskirts, I think, over the last two weeks. Two good wins over the Bombers and then uh, against North Melbourne down in Hobart last week. And the Pies, well, the last two weeks they've sort of done the same thing, haven't they? They've, they've uh, stayed competitive and then really put the hammer down when it counted. It couldn't happen again. First of all, I want to give my daughter Andy, a big Swans fan, a bit of a, bit of a gold medal for this one. As soon as the game against North Melbourne finished, admittedly she went to Sydney for her first ever game, Sydney Essendon. Mm. The minute the game Sydney North finished, she goes, that's exactly the same score as last week. Now, I haven't heard many people comment on that. Oh, I have. I heard you comment about it on Sunday yeah, night. I'm saying. But, but Andy, but Andy, that was great pickup by her. Yeah, good pickup. Imagine if they won 11-11 to 10-12 again. Would be incredible. It is, it is roughly where they're going to score. And that's their problem. Now, you remember this game last year was a thriller, wasn't it? A and, rip uh, snorter, wasn't Tom it? Tom McCartan won it for the Swans that's with right. a, a toe poke. Yeah, spot So what on. happens this time? This time, um, now Collingwood will welcome back a giant Mason Cox, I believe. Mm-hmm. And they lose some and they pick some up because they've got a lot of players that they can rotate in and out of the team. Well, Travis so, Varco out suspended. He's out suspended. What did you make of it? I thought he was very unlucky. Uh, I thought he was unlucky too. Yeah. He's bad. He luck. took out the Phillips brothers, one of them a teammate, one of them an opponent. Yeah, you know, I mean, I've got. I've, he was unlucky. I, th- I thought he tried to sort of minimise the contact. Well, where do we think? I, uh, I just, I think, oh, by the way, the minor hamstring won't be playing. Yeah, so Mrs. Fifth. Fifth. Yeah, yeah, not bad. She's minor, to see a, it's tiny. I hate to see a major one. It's tiny. Zach Jones isn't playing either. Yeah, yeah, that's a big loss. Yeah, they can't afford to lo- they can't mm. afford to lose players. They've really picked up their contested ball, though, haven't they? And yeah. we we gave the numbers a couple of weeks ago. They were ranked eighteenth uh, before the Essendon game and won the contested ball against the Bombers. Won it against the Roos as well. They don't Luke score Park, well, though. Luke Park has been terrific the last two weeks. Oh, Kennedy didn't play last week, so he'll mm. be back. Yeah, uh, so it was a good win without Kennedy and Franklin in Hobart. But the fact is that they, I know they were brilliant in the second quarter. They still kicked four goals in the other three quarters. 
And I fear against Collingwood, who have many avenues to goal, including the returning to Goey, that it's just going to be, you know, Sydney can kick 11-11 again, but this time it's not going to be enough, so I'm tipping Collingwood. Yeah, I just, I'm looking at the last two weeks, and it just, you know, sometimes you get a read on a side and you think, yeah, look, they're a good side and they're, they're doing enough. But does that make them a bit riper for the plucking the following week? Well, haven't we seen Collingwood, not just against Carlton and St Kilda, but even against better teams, haven't we seen that they can go to another level when the game matters? And yeah. They, could, they can press the scoring mm-hmm. button. Yeah. They've won how many in a row, though? Six? Uh, yeah, I think six, because yep. they lost the Eagles in round three. Yep. And since then, Grundy has been in. Just impassable, impervious, Im- impressive. I reckon this is going to be tight. I-, I really do think the Swans are a serious chance. However, I'm not gutsy enough, uh, having now recovered some ground in my tips. Score fifty-two, fifty-one. I feel like the, I feel like the, sort of, sitting duck racehorse being run down by the old campaign. I'm looming. I'm yeah, looming. I'm shortening stride. Um, so I think this will be tight, but uh, yeah, pies for me, and uh, they're generally pretty good on the road, so I think they'll just get over the line. Saturday afternoon at uh, down in Launceston, actually, Hawthorne takes on Port Adelaide. Gee, they, they've played Port down. I wonder if they've played Port there more than just about any other opponent. I can remember at least, I reckon, four or five times they've played Port down there. Um, Hawks... Uh, what you, yeah. McAvoy's out for a while. Yeah, he is, isn't he? That's a massive loss for them, mm-hmm. isn't it? Port. Do they um, bring in Pitt on air? Or do they go with Seglar on his own? Oh, I think, yeah, probably the latter. Yeah, Pitney's sort of. Pitney, Pitnet. He has come in a few times now and not sort of cut the mustard, really. Um, Port, a uh, decent win over Gold Coast, but. Nothing to write home about. They're, no, they're not, not They're not impressing me much at the moment, Port. They're, apart from the kids. Who are you, Shania Twain? Is, is that don't said... impress me much, yeah. Um, better that than, um, man, I feel like a woman. Uh, where, do you re- where, where do you reckon the Hawks are at? Um, I think I, was, I heard Isaac Smith interviewed about th- three weeks ago. And he's very honest, Isaac. He's going to be... A real addition to the media if he ever chooses to join. Oh, yeah, no, he's good. Yeah, I like good it. Yeah. And he said, you know, I just get a feeling. He said, when we go out to play, we don't... We used to have this aura about us and teams were scared of us and they they automatically against us played nervous football. He said, we're just another club now. Mm. And I think roughly that's right. Mm. That each week they go out there with no no advantage and Hawthorne, for much of my life following football, have had an advantage the minute they step out on the ground. They've had the sort of players and record that daunts other teams. So where are they? When you're just another team, you're sort of a 50-50 team, aren't you? And I, it, feel, I feel they're, yeah. just, they're, they're sort of, they belong halfway on the ladder. And each time they play, there's a part of me that says they can win it and part that looks in them and less sure against similar opposition. Well, and Port is similar opposition. It is. Uh, things happen to them now that didn't used to happen. I mean, they lost a close one to Melbourne, didn't they? And Richmond last week, you know, they sort of matched it with them for a bit, but Richmond sort of shrugged them off with comparative ease in the end, yeah. didn't they? Yeah, yeah. And ended yeah. up winning by six goals. Now, having said all that, Launceston is a considerable advantage, advantage. for them at yeah, home. Um, Port... I, I like Port's kids, but the the rest of it isn't doing a lot for me, to be honest. So no, I agree. I'm going for the Hawks. 
I don't think Lysette and Ryder have worked. Uh, they appear too early. I mean, but yeah, I don't think it works. They uh, they're not ma- forwards. Ruckman aren't forwards. Yeah, no, it seldom works. So who are you tipping? I'll go for Hawthorne on the Launceston, on the Launceston um, angle, and also when I say angle, I mean that's the angle we're taking on the game, and also with Port Adelaide, they've been really impressive. The youngsters, and you know what, the output remains, but at some point you will see them dropping off a bit. It's just natural. Your first year, their bodies, it's 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 you know a game for seasoned men. Mm. And I just think there will be a drop-off with those youngsters. I fear for both Port and St Kilda this week. I, you know, the game before going to China can be a, a loss of focus. So both those teams need to be careful that the players and just talk around the club isn't focused on getting away for a bit of a break. China, great fun, blah, blah, blah. So uh, Hawthorne for mine. All right, uh, Marvel Stadium Saturday afternoon, Western Bulldogs taking on North Melbourne. It's funny when those two sides clash. I can remember some great games between them, and I can remember a few duds too, but um, they had a, a couple of real close, was it two close ones, at least one close one, and Jack Zebel kicked the winning goal, I think, in the first meeting. And I'm I remember, I remember struggling to remember the second I remember one. much earlier, as a kid, the North Melbourne Footscray game was not a, glamour, was not a glamorous game. And I remember I used to listen to it occasionally. I'd turn on the radio, and there'd be players like the surname Berry, and I didn't know who who had Bill Berry. Yeah, I didn't know whether it was a North or Bulldogs player because yeah. I think he played. And then Counton, I didn't know what club he was at. Well, he played for both. I'm saying <laughs> there were, I always found that Dempsey, and I just found that Dempsey, yeah. I just found Huppets. There was a level of confusion for me when those two teams played as to who actually had the bloody ball. Now that was interesting. Um, as far as relevance to Saturday's game goes, probably not a lot. Also the same, because I'm not sure who's going to get the ball. <laughs> um, Footscray's... I call, Footscray. them, I call them Footscray, okay. and their supporters like it. Look, the Bulldogs are the better team this year. They, I mean, they were pretty impressive against the Cats. That that wasn't yeah, a bad performance but so was at North. all. Against the Cats? Yeah. Yeah, but I don't think North were that impressive last week. No, that's right. So they're better than that, which means that they're going to bounce back from that. I just got. I just feel that North. I I don't see a great difference between the two teams, talent wise. Mm. And I just think in this case, North might bounce back. They're not as bad as last week, so I'm going to give them the win. Okay, no, it's. Um, I mean, they won't start that rank outsiders, no, but uh, I'm going for the Bulldogs. I, I think the last, you know, good win over Brisbane, very competitive against the Cats. This is a game, you know, they need to win. Still very realistic finals prospects for them, not so much the Roos. I bet you I turn it on and the first two people to get the ball will be Sean Higgins and Tom Campbell. I don't even know if Campbell's playing. <laughs> yeah, two more. <laughs> but I'll just be confused. I won't know who's playing. We're going to have to come up with a whole team of them who've <laughs> played for both clubs. All right, finally going for the Roos. Yep. I'm going for the Doggies. All right, we move on. And again on Saturday at Adelaide Oval, the Crows taking on the Eagles. Now, I'm, I've got a bit of a vibe about the Eagles, and it, it, I can't necessarily back it up with much. Most people would say they're pretty ordinary, even in victory against Melbourne, and uh, I've heard quite a few summaries of that game saying that Melbourne should have won. They certainly torched a few opportunities. But I, Gee, there was a period in that last quarter, it was like this twilight zone when they were on top, and they couldn't score Melbourne. I watched the game in replay, and knowing the final result, 
you really feel felt as though Melbourne should have won that game. But I, I also feel that West Coast has a heap of improvement which will come. And I think some of the guys who had been out of touch are starting to find a bit of it. I think the return of Willie Rioli is absolutely critical for them. To me, they just look so much better with both Ryan and Rioli lurking around that forward line. Kennedy got back among the goals last week. And I reckon, and I could look like an idiot here because I haven't got the numbers in front of me, but I remember them having some particularly good performances in Adelaide on Adelaide Oval. You know, there's been some great Adelaide West Coast games mm. in, in, in recent years. But not a lot of people watch them. Great preliminary final in 06. They've had some great games. Yeah. Like, it's just not a big ticket item in Melbourne. In Melbourne, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, oh, I, just, one more, just, just one more word on the Crows. I reckon... Crouch is out. I, uh, Matt. Yeah, yeah he missed so. last week. He was late yeah. withdrawal. I think he might still be out. I, I felt like they were, they were sort of gathering ahead of steam, but... That faith has sort of been rocked a bit by the fact they lost, albeit at the Gabba. But I reckon if you're fair income about you know sort of making a resurgence as a power team, that's a game you need to win. And they didn't. Okay, they only lost by a point. But I just don't think they're what they were. And I think the Eagles are going to steadily improve. So I'm actually going for the Eagles. Now, this is really interesting because two weeks ago, I would have had absolutely no problems in selecting Adelaide to beat West Coast Eagles because Adelaide's strength has become their tall defenders. You know, Alex Keith has really arrived, playing well with Talia. Hardigan does a role. And West Coast, until a couple of weeks ago, were really reliant, really on Kennedy and Darling. They got them through with some scratchy efforts against teams that they should have been beating easily. Uh, You know, they had a win over St Kilda that was just, I think... Uh, they beat Gold Coast only, you know, without a great deal of flair or elan. But now with Willie Rioli back in the team, Ryan Dangerous, that bigger defence of Adelaide, which was tested against this mixed forward line of Brisbane, has that same challenge. Mm. Which is why I'm going to tip the West Coast Eagles, because I just believe that that Adelaide defence that was so good against a type might not be coming up against its favourite type. And I do know this, that you have a look at form recently. That guy, McGovern, humiliates Taylor Walker. Now, it's... He's not in doubt, is he, McGovern? He's always in doubt. I told you about the McGovern's. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. They're like Dangerfield. Yeah. And by the way, Kane Corns was spot on what he said about Dangerfield. I mean, he he copped the rounds. Yeah. Chris Scott's always defending his players each week, you know, whether it's Ablett the week. Dangerfield, he's, he's on crutches. He's, he is an absolute prima donna. All right. Well, is he not? Say that when we're talking about All right. Geelong. Well, I'll say it about McGovern as well. He's always in doubt. It's so heroic how he turns up every week. All right, so we're both... But he plays well on Taylor Walker. We're, we're both going for the Eagles. All yep. right, uh, I reckon this one we can dispense with reasonably quickly. Gold Coast versus Geelong at Metricon Stadium. It's a rematch finding of the memorable inaugural game at the rebuilt Metricon Stadium in 2011 between Gold Coast and Geelong. It's also a rematch of a couple of years ago when Gold Coast beat Geelong. They did. That was one I think the... Geelong are travelling a fair bit better yeah, than they were Yeah, that was a there. great win, though. Yeah. But I think there were a few players played that day that might no longer be at the club. Mm. This game can't be won by Gold Coast for one reason. Not Endeavour, honestly. Not Endeavour, not anything. 
simply personnel. You know Sam Collins is out for six weeks now? No, I didn't know that. That is a real loss for them. He was he was playing beautifully, Sam Collins. Mm. Cats, uh, cats are looking as good, I think, as they've looked for... Oh, geez, how far back would you have to go? Maybe 2013? Well, I'll tell you what, if you like your football back in the day, if you do look in the rear view, vision mirror, it's along as your team. They've got a home ground. They've got, unlike most clubs, they've actually got 22 good players and then five or six really good players knocking on the door every week. Mm. You know, so Menegola wants to force his way. Really good players. And they don't mind using the big forwards if it works. And I'll tell you what, with Sam Collins out, you got Hawkins, looked better last week. I think Radigalee is back in the team. Interesting, if Stanley doesn't come up, and he probably won't, who they're going to use in the ruck? Well, Darcy Fort made his debut last week. Yeah, Abbott. No, who was the ruckman? Oh, that, Abbott came in. Yeah, and Fort played up forward, didn't yeah, he? Yeah. Kick three, yeah. but he he can ruck as well. Oh uh, yeah, Zach Smith had his best game in the VFL. We've got a few options. Twenty-one possession. It'll be interesting to see which way they go. But I know this this much. What they're going to win? Okay, I agree with you. Uh, dream time at the G, one of the showpiece games on the home and away calendar. Richmond's home game this time around. Well, got to say it's been uh, a good event, but uh, the games themselves haven't necessarily been a much chop. Last year certainly wasn't. Richmond absolutely blew the Bombers off the park. And uh, I remember watching that game from quite up high that night, and it was quite uh, interesting to watch the way Richmond just carefully stationed a row, a wall, just outside the uh, Essendon defensive 50, and Essendon just couldn't get the ball out of there. It just came back at a rate of knots, and they won that in a canter. I think... um, Dusty is the key to this. He's, I think we're now going to see Dusty circa 2017 on a, a pretty regular basis. I think the um, something happened. I don't know where it was going back to his old boots or whatever, but yep. that was a fantastic game from him. And Essendon are now without Devin Smith and Joe Danner as well. So they haven't got much up forward. They won the game last week with a tally of, what, eight goals. Um, Injuries aside, they just have not really clicked this year, have they? No, they haven't. Well, they did for a period of three weeks, uh, but it was against Melbourne, Brisbane and North, so even that sort of has a bit of an asterisk next to it. Um, I think they'll, you know, they could break even in the midfield, but I'm not sure they've got anyone to really quell Dusty, and he's, I think he's been BOG in several of these games against the Bombers. I don't think they'll have enough up forward. And um, I think Richmond could cause a bit of havoc in their forward line. I think the Tigers are going to win it pretty comfortably. All right. I'm predicting that at some point, every Essendon supporter in attendance will utter this line or a version of it. Why did we even get rid of Hawley? Oh, yeah. No, I've been thinking, that, beautiful. I've been thinking that a lot lately. I must say, I, I, you know, in fairness, and this happens, I don't think anyone there had the idea that he would become this consistent a player. I'm saying, but when you when they see yeah. him on Saturday night, they're going to ask the question. Yeah. The, you know, Rory, um, not Rory, um, Tom Lynch remains an interesting watch, doesn't he? Yeah. Will he, won't he, each week? Who knows? I, I, I reckon, I feel like he's been copying too much stick, to be honest. Like, is he, you know, he's been going all right, has Here's something I've said about Tom Lynch, having watched him carefully over his entire career. One thing about Tom Lynch, and he used to do this at Gold Coast, if he kicks four goals in the first quarter, you know how many he's going to get for the game? 
Five. Yep. If he <laughs> kicks none in the first three quarters, he could still end up on four. <laughs> he just doesn't have a bag in him. That's okay if he's kicking four. Mm. But now it's sort of four or zero. Mm. So I just I just feel as though he's when he's good, he's good. And he looks good. And you know what? When he's not good, he looks like his hair's thinning and he looks like Nathan Ablett. He does. When he's he's got two different looks. So So who's he look like when he's good? Who who what, does he look like? If he looks like Nathan Ablett when he's bad, who's Simon he look like Beasley. But the, he had thinning locks. Yeah, but he was bloody good. Oh, I thought you were going to say when he was when he was um, playing well, his hair looked fulsome and full of luster. Do, don't you reckon? Oh, we used to call him this. Don't you reckon Simon Beasley looked like the Elephant Man a bit? Just the shape of his head and that <laughs> that poor coverage of hair. No, oh, he did. You go look at some side-on views of Simon Beasley playing football, especially if it was raining and the hair was sort of thinning and all over the the head. He was a guest of ours on Footyology on Channel Thirty One a few years ago. Who was on Merrick? Yeah, <laughs> he'll never talk to us again. I'm not an animal. <laughs> All right, so you, you've uh, been so kind to me, Mister Mordhaus. Uh, are you going for Richmond? Of course. Um, I'll go for Richmond. All right, Tigers to both of us. On to Sunday. Uh, back at the G, Melbourne v GWS. Now again, another game that is far more interesting than ladder uh, positions would indicate, because the Demons definitely playing some better footy now. In fact, I think last week's performance they've won three. And I think last week's performance was better than any of those three wins. Um, and GWS also playing some very, very impressive footy. However, there is a hoodoo at work here, and uh, they need to um, – what's the word? They need to get the, rid of the monkey off the back because they have won only two of 14 games at the MCG, and it's becoming a, a real issue. So they lost there to Hawthorne recently but played terribly. And that record – was trumpeted, you know, you couldn't have heard enough about it as soon as the final siren went. And before the game, a lot of people go GWS, I hope, you know, Hawthorne, as we said, are a middle-of-the-road team. But after the game, much of it, of course, they barely scored for the afternoon, GWS, but a lot of it was about how can this team be trusted in September? They can't play at this ground. In other words, I tell you this, that they come to the MCG on notice. I don't feel they were on notice against Hawthorne about playing at the G. It was just an away game that they needed to win. But now, surely, all the focus, all the talk, all the... Every GWS player would be thinking to themselves, we cannot embarrass ourselves at this ground again. So you think that'll galvanise them? I think that I think any, any sense of... Com- not even complacency, because GWS is a team prone to complacency and self-belief because a lot of their players have led a life of, well, football privilege. You know, being a brilliant junior player, guaranteed top 10 draft pick. Life has been pretty sweet for most of them. But any sense of entitlement when they step out on the MCG surely will have been snuffed out by Hawthorne two or three weeks ago. So I'm tipping GWS to win because they're the better team. They've got Cornelio back in. Mm. They somehow preserved Mumford. Yes, well, that, that is critical, isn't it? Because oh, well, I wouldn't have tipped them without, without Mumford. Yeah. But, you know, they are, as Terry Wallace calls them, mummy's boys. And he, they walk taller behind his coattails. The reality is that Melbourne, oh, we, I sort of said last week if they lose, that's it. But you know what? They played pretty well. 
and I'll give them one final mathematical probability low chance of salvaging this season if they beat GWS. Everything's on the line, but I think GWS are the better team, so I'm tipping the Giants. Oh, you build up to it. I wrote down Melbourne. No, I just think they're the better team. Yeah, okay. And I think they're on notice. No, I think you should take a punt and go with Melbourne. Why? Because you're tipping GWS. Correct. No, 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 no. All right. Uh, second last game of round 10. And is your Saints finey up against the hapless Blues at Marvel Stadium. Mm. Uh, not a lot of form to speak of for either of these two. Saints have now lost, what, four in a row? Four in a row. And uh, the Blues, of course, only won one game all year. Mind you, the Saints... In losing those four in a row, haven't been not, terrible. Not hateful. Not no. hateful. No. I, I thought they were pretty good for most of the game yeah. against the Pies. Yep, yep. Um, and therefore, this is a game that they should win well. You wonder what this week, oh, they're probably used to it these days, the Blues, but they have been smacked around the chops in a public sense, rightfully mm. so, after a second stinker in three weeks. However... This has happened to them a few times, yeah. though, in recent years. How many times can you tell them, you know, go out and play better, you're better than that? No, well, that's true. Because they're not better than that. But in between those two lamentable performances was arguably their best performance, albeit yeah. in a loss, yep. against Collingwood. True. So uh, I think they'll be better. Um, but I think your Saints... Uh, do the Saints play particularly well at uh, Marvel these days? Oh, or? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, very well. Yeah, I'm going for the Saints. Oh, well, you know, St Kilda beat... Essendon at Marvel. They they did. And they played pretty well that day, but they beat Hawthorne at Marvel, and that was a pretty good one. They win. did. And they played pretty well against Carlton. Now, Carlton lose Mark Murphy, and he was actually not playing badly in the last couple of weeks. Mm. One thing Carlton need to be very conscious of is the fact that that tight tag by Matt DeBoer rendered Patrick Cripps ineffective, mm. and as soon as he wasn't playing well, I think that's where the rot began and ended. Well, who, and you know what? Well, Jack, uh, Jack, Jack Steele, Steele he plays on him. Could, who? who? Jack, Jack Steele? Steele plays on him. Yeah. He's got a good record against him. Yeah. And Patrick Cripps is a ripping player, but yeah, I, I feel now for Carlton that so much of it revolves on one man's shoulders. And you know what? He played one of the great games of, of all time against Collingwood, mm. and they still didn't win, which means without Murphy. I don't think they could win even if he plays well, like Tips and Kilda. All right, so Saints for both of us. And round 10 wraps up in Perth, the final game of the weekend, Fremantle taking on Brisbane. Uh, really good test for the Lions. Uh, their record on the road, uh, it's not great, but it's better than it has been. Why are you, why are you doing that? Sound of a tumbleweed. Oh, no Sorry. one will be there? Like in, you know, it's brief. Fremantle fans will be there. Yeah. There, there they'll be there. But just, you know, here in Melbourne. Oh, yeah, it won't, won't be centre of attention, yeah, like, I think it's fair to say. The rounds are, uh, wives will be saying to their husbands, now look, mate, look, honey, I put up with a lot, but surely you can come to the dinner table and you don't need to be watching Who's playing? I don't even recognise those teams. Now, this is a good time to chip in and reproach you, Finey, because we are a national podcast and we're That's interested what I'm saying. in all teams. I'm saying in Melbourne there won't be any interest in this game. This is a vital game for the season. Yes. I mean, for Brisbane to make the eight, they need their coach needs to be a little bit like his literature namesake. Um, Fagan, yeah. He what need, he needs to well, they need to pick, pick a pocket, pocket or two. <laughs> they need to nick a game or two interstate. Yeah. And here is a chance for the Lions to take on Lions Dockers and pick a pocket or two. 
They need to win this game because that's how they will make the eight, not by hoping to win all their home games, by getting one or two interstate. And surely the Dockers are gettable. You saw them last week. They were terrible. Uh, gee, the skill level in that game was atrocious. And um, they weren't great against Richmond the week before either. However, I just wonder if you get that... Uh, you know how you've got that theory about how... Um, the fans of the WA teams that slot their away games don't matter. Yeah. So well, Frio's last home game wasn't a good one. So they've got to, they won't care about Essendon, but, but, but they've got to bounce back carnival. from Richmond. Their fans will think indigenous, that Indigenous game only is about them. It's Indigenous game today at Doggers. Let's paint the town purple and and Indigenous white. <laughs> That's a colour. But, you know, they, they really think that each game is a standalone festivity. Ladder position? I don't know. I've only got a ticket for this game. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> so who's going to win it, Finding I'm going to tip Brisbane. And, oh, you, yeah. and you know why I'm going to tip Brisbane? Because you think they're the better team? Look, Tabiner's out now for yeah. the season. Yep. Do you remember the old World of Sport? Yes. Do you remember the logo of World of Sport? Yes. Do you know what it was? Uh, it was a stick figure man holding a weight, wasn't it? Yeah, making the letter W and there was an O and an S. Yeah. Yeah, that's what Jesse Hogan is, a waste of space. He really is totally overrated. I'm so over what his effect is on a game of football. You know, when he doesn't kick a goal, they immediately go to that that GPS and tell, tell me how far he's run. Mm. Well, you know what? Take him to Ascot and put him over 2,400 metres if he's a stayer because like a horse... He doesn't seem to be able to have the hands to pick up a ball. So he's their forward line. And Cam McCarthy, don't get me started. Oh, my All right. goodness. Okay, so you're going for Brisbane. Yeah. Um, I'm going for Fremantle because, uh, check this logic, because I sort of feel like I should tip Brisbane, but every time I tip against Fremantle, they play really well. So I'm going to tip them, which means they probably won't play well, but then I'll feel better than if I hadn't tipped them and they did play well. Does that make sense? There's absolutely none. But there is a very interesting player playing in this game. Who? Lockie Neal. Oh, I mean, a lot of people, of lot of people have him in front of the Brownlow. Yes, of course. It'd be interesting. I'll, te- I'll tell you one thing, Freo supporters. This is a warning to all Freo. Do not boo him when he gets the ball. What, you'll be, be hoarse by <laughs> yes. halfway through the third quarter. You'll get quite sick. Yes, leading the uh, AFL possession but, getters, has averaging 34 But you know that happens in footy games. They used to do it with Buckley. You know how people yeah, used yeah. to boo Buckley? Yeah. I was at St Kilda games. I never knew why people booed him. And and by the halfway through the third quarter, like people go, Do I still have to do this? I'm doing yeah. it every thirty seconds. Yeah, boo yeah. No, I've had enough. No more booing. Let's just do a collective boo for every ten possessions. All right. Well, I've had enough of this preview. So uh, you're going for Brisbane. I'm going for Fremantle. That's the end of the round ten previews. Let's wrap it all up. On footyology. The final word. All right, well, it's Indigenous round this weekend, and uh, I just had a, a flashback finding. Actually, uh, in a couple of hours, I'm off to a lunch for the Long Walk, um, which is a, a fantastic thing that um, we see done uh, before the start of Are the Are you having two lunches today? Yes, I am. Um, no, I won't be eating much at the first one. Andrew's hamburgers, yes, join us at one o'clock. Correct. Uh, but preceding the Dreamtime game, the long walk, of course, uh, fantastic uh, event. 
And uh, there's a lunch on today at Crown. Uh, we're doing the podcast, the other podcast I do for Essendon uh, doing there. But we're talking to Longy, and uh, it's, he's, he's a great man, Michael Long, and it's, he's always entertaining. Love catching up with him. But I just had a flashback, and it's now 31 years, believe it or not, since I first met Michael Long. In fact, I was lucky enough to be one of the two people who conducted the first ever interview in Melbourne with Michael Long. So he was recruited from um, up in the Northern St. Territory, Mary's. St Mary's, yeah, and there was a bit of drama before he came here because he was out in a fishing boat and they couldn't track yeah, him down right. for several days and there were fears about his well-being. Anyway, he turned up and he came to Melbourne and uh, myself uh, from The Age and Michael Stevens from the, uh, in fact, it was still The Sun then, it wasn't even The Herald Sun, turned up to speak to him and uh, it's fair to say the answers were fairly monosyllabic and uh, I remember saying oh so have you seen much of the VFL and he goes oh just a bit and I said oh uh, do you know uh, do you know many of the players he goes oh who's that big blonde guy plays for Hawthorne I said Dermot Brown he goes yeah yeah I know him and Mickey McLean he's a legend Mickey McLean you love Mickey McLean all Indigenous players loved him and it was one of the hardest interviews I've ever done because he's just so shy and, and didn't want to say much and if you ever want a you know, testament to um, the growth of people through the game and, and his growth into a, a statesman for the Indigenous people and being outspoken on welfare issues and, of course, the famous incident with Damien Monkhurst. And so, you know, Michael Long and Nicky Winmar are responsible more than anyone, really, for the change in attitude towards Indigenous players. And uh, it, it's I've loved watching that journey, and of course I've loved watching him play footy. So well done, Longy. I'm really looking forward to catching up again, and uh, I hope the long walk goes as well as usual. And uh, the Bombers get a win for you on Saturday night. Well said. Yeah, it's it's. Thank you. Bit of a message there, maybe from Longy himself. I love the Indigenous round jumpers. I think it's a great uh, expression of Indigenous culture merged in with something that um, non-Indigenous Australia is embracing, which is Australian rules football, and you can buy the jumpers, collect them. I think in years to come, a a unbroken collection of Indigenous round jumpers for your club will be quite the collectible. But I'd say this, there's 18 jumpers, and they're all butte. You can go on the AFL website and vote for your favourite. I haven't voted, but I'm going to name my favourite now. And I reckon the best one is GWS's. It oh, just, really? So what's on it? Well, it, it looks like, I think it's an ab, it's an Indigenous shield, um, a hunting shield. If it's not at the actual shield, then the way that the jumper is made forms that image. And it is, there's a story behind it. You can read it on the website. But interestingly... I think the interstate teams have stolen a bit of a mark here because I really like Adelaide's. I love Sydney Swans. Uh, I love GWS. And Gold Coast has a very interesting one. And maybe the fact... Oh, Collingwood's is a rip-up, by the way. Collingwood's, as worn by Travis Varco, I like as well. But I've got a feeling maybe the Victorian teams being a little bit too beholden to their traditional look, like North Melbourne and St Kilda don't look a lot different, I think the interstate teams have been more expressive and... They win this time. So go and vote on your favourite one and buy your favourite one for your favourite team because I reckon down the track 
and that'll be a great investment in Indigenous art. Now, just before we go, and speaking of voting, we've got another competition and giveaways finding. Well, why don't we do it all over again? We've given away all the way up to the Northern Territory. Speaking of um, your great mate, Longy, first winner was in Northern Territory. Anybody can win this. The wild card. We have poo-pooed it. Poo-poo. But you know what? Let's have a bit of retrospective fun and interest with it. Pick one team in the history of football. You can go back as far as you want, but make a case with a short paragraph of one team that has missed out on the finals that could have won the flag with the wild card. Because I'll leave you with this final thought. You simply go to the Footyology website, by the way, and send it in as an email, Mm -hmm. and the winner will get, once again, a limited edition Andrews Hamburgers T-shirt and cap. So it's a good prize. Very nice. But leave you with this thought, because recently Mike Williamson passed away, Mm -hmm. as you know, and in 1978, when the last round was played, I'll never forget what words he said to open the Penthouse Club. And he looked down the barrel and he was fair to And he said, the best team in the VFL in 1978 isn't in the finals. That was the Saints. Yes. They'd and just was, beaten, they'd uh, beaten Carlton. And Robert Muir had just dispatched of Dennis Collins. Oh, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. <laughs> Rex Hunt had become goal umpire. That's right. But three weeks earlier at Waverley, St Kilda beat eventual premiers comfort- Hawthorne comfortably by seven goals. Yes. And, you know, it was the last time that Dittrich and Sidebottom would play together. The team would be decimated. But that's my case made. You make yours and win the prize. Okay, so your case for the best team ever to miss out in the finals. Miss out in the finals and why they would have won the flag. And you know what? You can have a bit of fun with it. You can be tongue-in-cheek. We'll read out the best answers. But if you make a case for a team that probably couldn't but have a funny reason why, you could win the prize. And when have they got to do it? We should have discussed this before, but have they got till our next podcast or have they got till next Thursday's podcast? Until next Thursday. Okay, so you've got a week, folks, but uh, I've got other stuff to do, so don't make me monitor the email 24-7. Get your entries in nice and early. All right, that's it for this week. Uh, we'll return on Sunday night. Oh, fine, you've got a, something else. No, I'm going to ask you because it's oh. Indigenous round. Yes. I defer to your knowledge of music on this? Uh, yeah, I think it's important that we finish off with an Indigenous flavour. Um, well, one of the first uh, Indigenous bands that came to attention in the wider Australian rock scene, Finey, and uh, I'm sure you remember them, Coloured Stone. I saw Coloured Stone. In the early 80s. Yeah, I, saw, I, saw and, them, uh, I saw them at the... What was that place in Smith Street? Oh, the club. The club. Yes, yeah. used to go there a bit. Saw the oils there one night. Um they had a song which I think I first saw on that great ABC Saturday morning show, Beatbox, but it used to get played quite a bit. It was called Black Boy, and we're going to leave you with that. Enjoy your footy. We'll see you on Sunday. A shy black boy who came to the city to learn about life and how his people lost their lives. His parents died when he was just a child, and now his life is mystified. Bra-